welcome to Horror Culture, our show, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and masterpieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And welcome to Nasty November. Nasty November. <laughs> We're here, your nasty bitches, here to bring you the best and worst in video nasties. Yeah. Yeah. Best and worst. Before we start with today's film, Chris, would you like to give a brief lowdown on what Video Nasty is, if our listeners are not familiar? Yeah, um, Video Nasties are films that were banned. Um, Some of them were taken to court because, uh, here in the UK, during the 80s, because they were deemed too extreme, too dirty, too violent... For uh, our um, precious sensibilities here in the UK. Yes. Um, yeah, many, there's a, sh- a long list, long list of films that were banned, and then a shorter list, forgive me off the top of the head, I can't remember the numbers, I think 70 or the, what were banned? Yeah, so we're doing films off the DPP list, the films that were prosecuted. Were actually prosecuted, yeah. but others were banned. Um, but these are the ones that we're dealing with were actually prosecuted under the Video Act. Yes. In, uh, in the, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's basically a result of Tories not being able to have any fun. And to, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister throughout the whole of the 80s, and this was very much um, part of Conservative Britain. It was just a, a massive case of hypocrisy in the way that these adults are watching these video nasties to tell us, adults, that we're not allowed to watch these video nasties. There was a very famous saying from uh, James Furman, I believe, who was the head of the BBFC. And they're the ones that watched these films and told everyone whether they were allowed to watch them or not. Um, and I believe it was Toolbox Murders he was discussing. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, but in regards to Toolbox Murders, he said that he didn't worry about the middle class people watching it. What he was worried about was how films like this would affect your average working class man. (laughs) So yeah, that kind of gives you an idea of you know, where they were coming from. Yeah, and plus the politicians that campaigned against uh, these films admitted that they didn't even watch the four films themselves. And there was a documentary we watched which showed a scene where they compiled this this compilation of all the nastiest moments in Video Nasties to put their case forward in court as to why they should be banned. It's like, bitch... Yeah, of course they're going to look terrible if you narrow it down to those scenes. A lot of these films are actually really fucking boring. Oh my god, so many of them are. And even some of them that aren't boring, they're not even that extreme. Like The Witch That Came From The Sea, fantastic film. It has like one gory scene in it. Like, that was in their little compilation, so they thought the whole film needed to be banned. They had The Best Little Horror House in Texas was nearly fucking banned because of the name. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's... It was very hypocritical, it was very elitist, very condescending. Um, Essentially, it was a group of people telling people, you know, what they can and can't do. 
um, like Gary said, a lot of the films, and we're working our way through them, um, a lot of the films are actually really fucking dire, incredibly boring. <laughs> and I, in fairness, we probably wouldn't have watched them if they weren't on the list. No, exactly. <laughs> By creating this list, they've created a whole other level of cult films because everyone wants to watch them because they're video nasties. Like, yeah. why would you randomly watch Gillespie's Last Orgy or whatever it's fucking called? The Gestapo's Last Orgy. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the SS Experiment Camp. Why the fuck would you randomly watch that if it wasn't notoriously banned? Exactly. Exactly. I would not recommend anyone watch those films because they're really, really bad. Well, we haven't seen but the Last Lord, Orgy one. But, Lord forbid, some fucker over in Westminster is going to tell me whether I can or can't watch them, you know? And going on a segue to the fact that they can't tell us we can't watch them because they're all available now. Yeah. Which brings us... all of them now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. We have all of them at hand, ready to discuss them all for you every November, starting with the best of the best. The best Giallo film ever made, in my opinion. Tenebrae from Tenebrae. 1982. Yeah. Directed by Dario Argento. Uh, the Who's he? What's he, he done? Well, as you know from our Suspiria episode, he is a director of Suspiria, Deep Red, The Bourbon of the Crystal Plumage, The Cat and Nine Tails, Opera, Phenomena, Inferno, the list goes on. Budget and Worldwide Gross is actually unknown. Um, um, I don't think it did particularly well. No. I, I actually... Um, I looked up a little bit uh, on the internet and um yeah it didn't it didn't do great it did all right but not not fantastic you have a history with this film i do i do this was absolutely a film that i wanted to watch because it was on the video nasties list um and everyone on the internet was saying how great it was um so i saw the dvd bought it for some reason, watch the American version with the Kim Wilde song at the end. <laughs> um, then watch the proper version. I was like, wow, this is good. If all the video nasties are like this, <laughs> then I'm in for a real treat. <laughs> I mean, some of them are. We then were... I watch Driller Killer. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, we've got the likes of Possession, The Evil Dead, Zombie Flesh Eaters. There's some classics in there. Yeah, but overall, yeah, it's iffy. I mean, I only heard of this film because it was when I first started collecting Arrow video uh, Blu-rays. So actually, like, five, six years ago. Um, I don't know why this had never... I knew the image, uh, the final image of Darian Nicolodi screaming. Um, but that's all I knew of this film. I didn't know Amy Cass about it. Mm. Um, but then my friend Niall found a clip on YouTube, the crane shot. Um, the the famous crane shot scene uh, with the two lesbians in the house and we watched a little clip on YouTube and was like, okay, yeah, gotta watch this ASAP and it blew me away. It was so fucking good. Like, it is some of the finest filmmaking from any horror film of the 80s. But then again, so Suspiria with the 70s. Like, Dario Argento is such a fantastic filmmaker. He's got the... Wes Craven's about him. Yeah. I think. Uh, in the sense that when he's on form, it is amazing. Yeah. It is five star. It's incredible. When he's not on form, 
You it's say that we great. we have only watched as good films. Yeah, we haven't we haven't watched a bad one yet. But once you get into, I'm sure we'll love Dracula 3D. Yeah, which has recently been requested from one of our listeners. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to watch that Adrian Brody one, <laughs> Giallo. But you understand where yeah, I'm Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. From. Once you get to the 2000s, those films look terrible. I mean, um, I fully believe in making your own mind up when it comes to these things. But you look at the IMDb <laughs> rating, you look at Letterboxd, and it's like, okay, you know, he's got a, he's got the worst cravings about him. Yeah. So, getting into the trivia, according to the FSK, the official censorship in Germany, this film will never be released uncut in Germany. Why? Just too extreme. <laughs> It's 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 a weird one. Um, going back to the video nasty thing, one thing that they hated, uh, the censors in the eighties in terms of these video nasties, was sex and violence together. Yeah. Which is why the witch that came from the sea, was banned. Yeah. Because it's one scene mm-hmm. that got it banned was both sexual. And violent. Yeah. And they hated that together. I... I don't really get it with this one. I, I, I don't know about German censorship. Um, but they seem... It, it's a pretty sexy film, but it's kind of... They're not together, are they? Um, In the film. I suppose the beach scene with the heel to the mouth. Yeah, I suppose. They're not too far away from each other. It's, it's an erotic film. Mm. But um, it's it's you know it's not like, you know, basic instinct. No, no. <laughs> Where someone's getting shav- shagged and stabbed at the same exactly. time. Reportedly inspired after the director Dario Argento was stalked by a fan, which is a very, a very common thing amongst horror films in the eighties. I mean, look at Poor Adrian King. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think. Yeah, I think... Oh, there's just weirdos out there, aren't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Dario Argento called star Anthony um, Fresiosa one of the most difficult actors he's ever worked with. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, he was... I, I don't think he was in, like, massively successful things. Um, all I all I remember is that he was married to Shelley Winters. Okay. Which is a very me uh, <laughs> piece of trivia. But maybe Argento was jealous of that. Maybe. maybe. Shelley Winter's dead by this time. I don't know. No, I don't think she was. The impressive two and a half minute crane shot um, that encircles Tilda's house took three days to be completed. American distributors wanted the shot to be cut from the film for US release, but Argento refused. Yeah, why the fuck would you cut that? It is Rightfully one of, so. It is one of the greatest shots in horror history. Like It is beautiful to look at. It really is. It's, yeah. Yeah. The original film's poster shows an image of a woman with her throat cut. The UK released in 1983 censored the violent image by placing a red bow around the neck. <laughs> After posters displayed on the London Tube uh, drew complaints. Some later UK releases on video and DVD editions used the censored image, but the most recent release coming from Arrow Video uh, reinstated the original poster image for their covers. Yes, as it should. Although I kind of like the red bow. <laughs> it's camp. Christopher Walken was considered for the lead role. Uh, that would have worked. Yeah. That absolutely would have worked. 
I would have loved to have seen that. Well, if they ever want to remake it, let's hope Christopher Walken's available. Yes, yeah, it's still with us. The girl with the red shoes in the flashback was played by a transgender actor, which is so refreshing for the 80s. Well, she's murdered. I mean, she is murdered, yeah, but, I mean, you know, getting trans people some work, it's great. Yeah, well, yeah, she got a check, didn't exactly. she? Uh, I mean, she didn't get a line of dialogue, but she got a check. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think the gay representation in this film, uh, the LGBT representation, is that bad. No, no, it's because not, actually. at the end of the day, yeah, they, they're killed, but they're likeable characters. You know, these are characters that we're meant to be rooting for, and we're not meant to be rooting for the killer, so... Yeah, in the grand tradition of giallo films... The murder victims aren't the most um, sort of, you know, fought out. They haven't got the most development. Um, but, you know, th- there's a likability factor. We'll obviously get into it when we get into the film. The harsh modern look and cinematography of the film was largely due to Dario Argento being impressed with Possession, another film on the video Nasty List. Oh, wait, I... Love the look of this film. I yeah. really, I love the kind of the coldness mm-hmm. to it. I I really think it works so well. A George Kemp is credit, credited as sole screenwriter on U.S. posters and as co-write a screenwriter with Argento on some prints of the film. Um, some prints of the film. Why? Who is who is George Kemp? George Kemp, Spandau Ballet. <laughs> It was reported that the already well-known actress uh, Theresa Russell provided the voice of Daria Nicolodi in the English dubbed version. She's not confirmed or denied this. Oh, okay. Was she... Oh, no, I suppose she was established by then. Yeah. Theresa Russell, we watched her in Hall. Yeah. Ken Russell, yeah. Ken Russell's film. She was married to Nicholas Rogue. And Quentin Tarantino has called the murder of Jane via Axe his favourite on-screen death scene of all time. For its intense imagery, including the key moment where she paints the walls with blood. It's high camp. I love it. And I... Obviously, Quentin Tarantino constantly says something's the best film, (laughs) the best kill, the best use of an elastic band in a movie. But I would absolutely agree with him on that. It's It's definitely up there. So getting into the film, an American writer in Rome is stalked and harassed by a serial killer who was murdering everyone associated with his work on his latest book. Can we start with a mysterious person with a black glove reading about murder in a book called Tenebrae by Peter Neal? Where do you get these plots from? IMDb. That's not true. (laughs) They're not really related to the book. (laughs) No. I mean, he imitates the death scenes from the book, but that's, that's about it. Okay. Uh, Tenebrae is written by Peter Neal, an American writer of violent horror novels. And this guy with a black glove is reading it. But he's not really enjoying it, so he throws it into the fire. And we get the opening credits with the iconic Goblin theme song. This soundtrack is, as you said, iconic. Yeah, it's perfect. And I know that word's thrown around a lot, particularly by homosexuals. But it is. It's amazing. It's so good. So good. Yeah, it, it is yeah, perfect. It and really is. It's perfect. We all know, you know Goblin, uh, as a unit, are, are a bunch of geniuses and they really outdid themselves with this one. Yeah. And, you know, this is quite late 
for a giallo. Yeah. Really, 82. Um, but the moment you see that black glove, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. I know what, I know yeah. what's going on. You know, a, a murder mystery book as yeah. well. You know, that's where giallos came from. Yes, it hasn't got a yellow cover, but, you know, it's modernised for 82. Uh, but we know exactly what we're in for. Yes. So Peter visits Italy to promote Tenebrae, which is his latest work. And he receives a call at the airport from his ex-fiancee Jane, not McDonald, in case you're wondering. Checking up on him and decides to leave his bag by a bunch of random strangers whilst he takes the call. Yeah. <laughs> Why does he leave that I know, bag he could have literally just took the bag with just him. Just carry the bag. <laughs> He's unaware that Jane has followed him to Rome. She, yes, she's scrolling cold cruise from the phone booth, isn't she? Yes. Um, she's absolutely giving me classic Hollywood glamour. She's giving me lever to heaven sunglasses. Um, she's giving me Nigella Lawson. <laughs> she is absolutely slaying that out. She slays every outfit. Um, yeah. Yeah, if she's gonna stalk, she's gonna stalk in style, ain't she? Absolutely. I didn't... She's with a friend, and I don't know who the fuck that friend no. is. No. <laughs> we never see her again. Um, but the friend um, helps her out. Just before Peter arrives in Rome, Elsa, a young female shoplifter, tries stealing a copy of Tenebrae. When uh, <laughs> she's taken to a room by one of the guys working at the shop, and she, she says, What is this? Who the fuck are you? <laughs> You're the one shoplifting, honey. So, <laughs> and she was like, "It was just a paperback. Come on, give me a break. You're not gay, are you?" <laughs> well, that's after she's offered up her address, yeah, for him to come and visit later. Um, is it worth it for a paperback, a hardback? Maybe it's just a paperback. <laughs> <laughs> a bareback for a paperback? Don't think so. She she is so desperate to read Tenebrae that she has to steal it. Because it's a department store as well. Of all the things (laughs) to steal. You know, there's perfumes, there's jewellery. And she steals a book that probably cost, you know, $4.99 back in 1982. A random homeless man tries grabbing Elsa on her way home. Um, but she beats him up and manages to get away before he catches up with her. And she slams his hand in her gate. Yeah, to which he then vows to kill her, which, mate, come on. (laughs) Where has this come from? Calm down. Um, Elsa opens her window to have a chat with her neighbour, and her neighbour's like, my washing machine broke. Are you okay? She's like, I'm fine now. And (laughs) as far as the chat goes. Well, yeah, it's I'm fine now. If somebody said I'm fine now, it's like, oh my God, what happened? (laughs) But, you know, my washing machine hasn't broken, so... <laughs> I, hope, uh... I think I'd be too caught up in the washing machine <laughs> drama. Was she, was she washing her clothes outside by hand? No, she was in a Halloween film. She was just uh, putting sheets out <laughs> on the... Uh, she was waiting for Michael Myers to appear. Because it was just sheets being dried. But instead, the homeless man appears. And he returns to give Elsa a jump scare through her window. I think it's a bit harsh. Can we be a little more PC about this, please? There's no indication that he's homeless. He's just dishevelled. Wow. Well, are we, are we going to get cancelled? He was absolutely... Okay, no. Daryl Gento is the one who wrote this film, not us. Okay. He's very much implied to be homeless. Yeah. 
He lives in a building um, construction site. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, and no. his clothes haven't been changed in like 20 years, so... Yeah, okay. So you can't cancel us. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure we said worse. Uh, so he's watching her after he's gave her a jump scare, but she's killed by the black-gloved killer who slits her throat with a razor, stuffs her mouth with pages of Tenebrae, and takes a picture of her after. I just love the fact that he stuffs her mouth with the book that she stole. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. We burnt his copy, didn't he? <laughs> or she? Uh, he. <laughs> um, yeah, he burnt his copy, yeah. so he had to wait for her to steal one. That's it. She's she's gone. She's gone. Elsa, we barely knew thee. Peter is accompanied by his literary agent, Bulmer who is played by the late John Saxon with a very fancy hat. Uh, we know he's Peter's agent because he tells him about how well he's done with all his book sales. He's like, happy with your agent? Yes. His assistant, Anne, um, is also there with him. Uh, we know that she's his assistant because Peter says, where's my assistant, Anne? <laughs> and Gianni. <laughs> Gian- yeah, G- I don't know what... Pop star Gianni. I suppose he's just like uh, Aaron. I uh, know he's an assistant to Bulmer, isn't he? Uh, maybe he's never. He doesn't assist him once. In fact, he insists he assists Peter more than Anne does. Yeah. Well, yeah. He does. Yeah. I don't know. It's an Aaron I, boy. I he's suppose. just there with a, a really bad British accent and some of the tightest jeans I've ever seen in my life. He's very 1982. <laughs> I'm surprised he could breathe. The actor who plays him is actually... Uh, he actually had a pop career. Uh, and he's, he's actually Italian, not British. To no, no one's surprise. <laughs> to no one's surprise. So, yes, they're in Rome oh, now. They're in Rome. Um, before uh, Peter regroups with his people, he, uh, he's been interviewed by various journalists, including lesbian queen journalist Tilda who uh, quizzes him about his novel and all the, and all, all of his sexist novels. He says, Tenebrae is a sexist novel. Why do you hate women so much? Yeah. Um, Peter's dressed like Cliff Richard in this scene as well, which is worth knowing. <laughs> yes, actually. Um, it's very much playing on the criticism that Argento's films have gotten throughout his career. Um, I find a lot of this kind of... Um, interplay, not not interplay, but these kind of um, ideas of misogyny, sexism, yeah. perversion, violence that come up is very much in keeping with the criticisms that Argento has received and, it, and did receive up till that point. Yeah, I mean, it was a very big thing around slasher films at that time as well. Um, where there was lots of lots of people saying how slasher films are misogynistic. Yeah, and so Giallo films. Yeah. I mean, so, some of the Giallo films that we've seen, even we've been like, oh, Lord. You know, good yeah. gracious. You know, that that sort of sex and violence together, it it did does sometimes feel unnecessarily cruel when it comes to the women yeah. in, in the films. I think also the whole killer killing people from consuming this novel um, plays into a lot of time when someone kills someone and 
horror films are, are blamed for yeah, it, which is definitely more frequent back then as it, than it would be now. Um, but yeah, I mean, was that something that do, do you know if that's something that was going on a lot around this time or? Um, well, that's because uh, I know the nineties is when it was happening the most. Well, that was a big reason for you know the video nasty yeah. is that there was always some film that was blamed or yeah. Um, it was probably more in the nineties as video players became more accessible. Um, but it it was probably a criticism, even in nineteen eighty two. To sort of say, you know, these vi- this violent media mm-hmm. um, invites people to be violent in real life. Yeah. And I, I do... I actually find it quite funny because for me personally, I'm not sure what Argento is actually saying mm. about it. Because obviously, you know, he would defend his work and say, no, it's not misogyny. It's just in horror, you mm. know, women are usually in, you know, the victim role mm-hmm. because we feel more for women. We want to protect women more, you know, that, that sort of idea. Um, and, you know, my, my, my violent films don't create violent people. But, spoiler alert, Peter Neal is revealed to be a killer by the end of the film. <laughs> And a, and a misogynistic one at that. And a misogynistic <laughs> one, at, you know? But, also, but he, I mean, he's a bad character, and I'm meant to like him, so... Yeah. So it turns out that Tenebrae, the novel, is the creation of a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of funny, because it's kind of like... But we're, we're here in our heads defending... Saying that, oh, you know, what, what's her problem? Why is she, you know, this, um, she's saying it's misogynistic and we're here, like, we're horror film fans. We're like, oh, I'm not a killer. Gary, jury's out. <laughs> but, you know, we would defend horror films and say, no, you know, we can consume whatever media we like. It's not going to turn us into insane killers. Exactly. And then by the end of the film, yeah. you're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe we are the weirdos. I, I think it's an inj- it's there, it's going to be some sort of. I think it's a tongue in cheek here, yeah, and I think it's a humorous thing that the the big reveal is, you know, the kind of person that Argento is probably more akin to in in the film turns out to be a murderer. Yeah. So Peter realizes someone has smashed up a watch in his bag um, when it was left alone at the airport. Well, yeah, you shouldn't have left it alone I at the airport. It was close up in. It was meant to be a gift for Anne, wasn't it? Yeah. Peter is greeted by the police in the form of Detective Germani and his female partner, Inspector Outery. Uh, I think that's how you're saying Outery. Did not even say her name in the film? Outery. Yeah. Um, when he goes to his apartment. They inform him of Alsa's death and that the death matches the way victims die within his book. The murderer has sent Peter a letter informing him that his books have inspired them to go on a killing spree. Yeah. One one thing, sorry, just going back that I've got noted is that after um, Til- Tilda, I think that's how you pronounce it, it's with an E, but we'll say yeah. Tilda, 
Um, after Tilda sort of goes for Peter, uh, Bulmer says, um, and there's a, a quote from him, says, those dykes want to bust your balls because they don't have any of their own. Um, which I, I did think was interesting because we were like, oh, you know, okay, maybe we're not on your side. <laughs> maybe, uh, it's, it's just, I think it's just interesting. Obviously well, it's, it's interesting to see John Saxon playing someone who's supposed to be unlikable. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not a John Saxon thing unless you count my, my mum's a werewolf, where he's the werewolf. Oh, I, my mum's a werewolf. Do you not remember... The film where he's dating. What was it called? No, he transforms this um, girl's mum into a werewolf. Oh yeah, he does. Yeah, he doesn't play the mum. No, he plays a sex icon in that film, doesn't he? Yeah, in every film. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's really weird seeing John Saxon as this uh, as as Malcolm McDowell in Halloween too. Well, yeah, but it's this <laughs> sleazy, you know. Um, what are they called? Homophobic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a homophobic slur, but um, sleazy uh, manager, agent. Agent. Agent, yeah. It's uh, refreshing to see John Saxon maybe a slightly different role. He loves to play a cop, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Peter gets a call from the killer quoting his book to him and informing him that they can see him. So the dire- So the detective and his partner... Go looking for the caller at the phone booth opposite the building, but they've got away. Yes. Yeah. And we get a flashback in a bizarre series of events to a sleigh queen in red heels uh, luring a bunch of men to a beach. She gets her boobs out for them and uh, looks as though she's about to suck them all off as they surround her. But one slaps her and runs away. (laughs) The other guys catch him. And the Red Heels Queen starts kicking him before shoving her heel in his mouth. What? <laughs> so, yeah. So this is a... What we get is a silhouette um, of somebody having a terrible time. A terrible nightmare. Yeah. Um, seemingly they're in bed and they're, you know, groaning in pain and such. And then we get this, which a dream sequence, a flashback. We're not a hundred percent sure, are we? No. Um, there's no dialogue. The when there's the shot where she's crouched down is absolutely Elizabeth Taylor in Suddenly Last Summer. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very reminiscent of that. Apart from you know Elizabeth Taylor at the top on, um, but. It's confusing. Because they don't know what's going on. Who are these people? Um, And then there's very... Like... It's not a nice image to think of a heel in your throat. Oh my god, it's disgusting. It looks horrible. It really... And it's, it's, it's weird that that is probably the part of the film where I was like, oh. Yeah. You know, in a film where people are having limbs chopped off and being axed in the head... That was, you know, the bloodless scene is the one where I was like, oh. I mean, props to that actor for taking a heel in the mouth. Like. Yeah, see, it looked very real. I don't, I don't think it was a prop. No. It's just, it's it's such a strange scene because, I mean, in a way, it feels kind of homoerotic. I mean, 
you know, you've got all these men in, like, white trousers with their tops off on the beach. Surround, I mean, I know they're surrounding this, this woman, but it, it feels a little gay. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it was... It, <laughs> suddenly, Last Summer's a, a gay film as well. I mean, and to top it off, you know, we've got a trans icon as well playing the role of the Red Hills Queen. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how much of that is Argento playing... On the idea of of him being a misogynist, mm. and I know that's quite dated now. Um, that idea was like, oh, you call me a misogynist, I'll have a murder scene with a transgendered actress. Mm. Um, that's very dated um, and doesn't really work now. Um, but I'm not, I you know. I'm just putting it out there. He hasn't sort of said anything. No. Um, but it's a great scene. Very atmospheric. Uh, love the soundtrack to this as well. Um, but yeah, no fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> so we're taken to a bar where... I'm assuming she gets slapped because she's being shamed for seemingly about to have sex with numerous people. I don't know. It's just a really weird slap and then running away and then the other men piling on it. I'm like, what are you trying to do? What's going on? I mean, in the context of now knowing that this is Peter Neal's flashback Mm. and not the first killer's flashback, we could maybe see that as Peter Neal is shaming her for being promiscuous and that, because, you know, in the end, they say that this incident and what followed fueled Peter Neal to write Tenebrae. Yeah. Tenebrae is really, you know, a, a, um, the culmination of him dealing with what he did when he was younger. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could see it like that. Yeah. So... We'll get some more of those later on, some more of those weird flashbacks. But first, we're taken to a bar where Tilda's having uh, a drink with her girlfriend, Marion. Uh, and Marion's discussing a man in the bar. And uh, she's like, hey, he's cute. And Tilda says, he's vulgar and cheap. <laughs> but um, Marion wants to take him home. Uh, Tilda kind of agrees to it at the time, kind of doesn't. Like, she seems indifferent about it. Well, Tilda's a bit fuming because uh, seemingly they have this agreement where it's no ties. Mm -hmm. So they're dating, but it's not monogamous. Is that a word? Uh, Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. so, but I think Tilda wants it to be. Yeah. But um, Marion is not <laughs> wanting it to be. <laughs> yeah, so when she gets, when Tilda gets home, um, Marion's done her business and Tilda says, you cheap little hooker, I wouldn't come near you right now if your life depended on it. She is absolutely <laughs> fuming. Marion has had far too much to drink. She's going to be sick. But Tilda does not care. No, she throws a glass at her. <laughs> she actually does, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then, in, in such an iconic Marian scene... Marion is slaying, by the way. In oh, of course she is. In just a towel, yeah. one breast out, she's absolutely slaying. 
Uh, in what it's a very iconic scene, the Goblin score starts playing and we get a crane shot that starts from Tilda downstairs, goes upstairs to Marion and then goes through the rest of the house, through the windows, before the killer breaks in. Yes, yeah, so it, it goes... It's two and a half minutes, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So Tilda looks out the window as if she's heard something. Uh, Marion has put the soundtrack on. Yeah. <laughs> on vinyl. On vinyl. So it goes up to her room and then back down and it shows a glove and um, like pliers opening a window. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. No, y- you know me. I put characters and plot above anything else. Mm-hmm. But this shot, I mean, it got my nipples hard. Yeah. It is so good. It is beautiful the cinematography is i can't believe the americans wanted to cut it i know shame on them it really it's so cinematic it's kind of ridiculous because (laughs) in the sense of it's quite extravagant yeah it's not exactly necessary because you do sort of get a lot of shots of like the roof and stuff so it is kind of mm-hmm. but oh my god is it beautiful it's so, great so good so good Tilda uh, is fuming that Marion's playing the score too loud she's too much of a big goblin fan obviously um, and tells her to turn it down and then the killer comes in and says pervert filthy slimy pervert <laughs> And in, again, another iconic shot. Like, everything about this, this sequence is just fucking iconic. It really is. Um, Tilda's putting a t-shirt on, but the killer slices through it um, and kills her with a... Cuts a perfect circle out of it. Her face comes through it and then slashes her throat. Yeah. And then her hand slams against the, uh, the glass, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, really iconic scene. Um, her face through the t-shirt is mm-hmm. used in a lot of the posters now. Um, a lot of the promotional sort of material. Um, it's really, it's an iconic scene from start. It ain't even finished yet. No, the killer smashes a light bulb. Uh, Marion discovers Tilda's body, but then the killer slits her throat and pushes her through some glass for more iconic imagery and takes pictures of them. And of course, her head through the glass is the poster that had the uh, the bow on it. Oh, is it? Yep. Oh. Also, obviously, um, very much a... Um, staple. Staple. Of, of Argento. Of Argento. Um, head he through has, glass. Head through glass. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Thank you for helping me out. I'm really struggling with my words today. I do apologise. Uh, Maria, the young daughter of Peter's landlord, visits Peter to fix his water and compliment his books. Yeah, how much for? 5,000 lira? Five <laughs> just, the, the hotel manager's on the phone and she's just behind it. 5,000? 5,000 what? What are you talking about? <laughs> um, the killer leaves another note for Peter saying, so passing the glory of Lesbos. Very on the nose, isn't it? Yes. Very, very on the nose. Um, but we kind of, we're getting the gist now that um, obviously... The filthy, slimy pervert, killing someone that had just stolen the book. Mm-hmm. He's on a crusade of some sort, the killer. Yes. Germani informs Peter about Tilda's death. Uh, and then he... 
That's his name. I know, but you're saying it like Dorinda says Giovanni. <laughs> um, a gay TV interviewer, Cristiano Berti, interviews I Peter. Know, isn't gay? He's talking to him about the gay representation in his books. Yeah, from a moral standpoint, if anything, he's homophobic. I don't know, super camp, isn't he? He's just killed two... I suppose, yeah. He's just, yeah, you're looking well, like that. Yeah, he's Don't just, worry, guys, he's not on our team. He's not on our team at all. <laughs> just because he's got a big fucking moustache in 1982 <laughs> does not mean he's on our team, thank you very much. Yes, they, he has a weird obsession with uh, with Peter's books and uh, they go live on his talk show. Peter spots who he thinks is Jane outside when uh, Anne reveals that she thinks Jane was the one who messed with his bag at the airport. Yeah, so this Cristiano Berti, he, in this interview, he very much emphasises the fact that the book is about eliminating the perverts and the delinquents, Mm -hmm. and it's a massive red flag, huge red flag, um... Obviously, if you're watching it for the first time, it's a huge red herring. Yeah. Kind of, in the end, um, you think, you assume it's a red mm-hmm. herring. Um, because you're like, they can't be that obvious. The film can't be that obvious. Um, because we, we ain't that far into the film. No. For us to be revealing the killer. Uh, but we're getting huge red flags. Um, Pia's pr- kind of an ally, actually. Because when Cristiano Berti, he brings up the gay part, mm-hmm. uh, one of the characters in the book is gay, he says, you know, he puts that within the sort of the perverts and the delinquents. And Peter turns around and says, yeah, one of the victims is gay, but the way I depicted him in the book, he was leading a very normal life. Uh-huh. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't perverted. Um, so that's why Bertie's uh, homophobe. Yes. Maria gets off of the back of a random guy's motorbike and she is fuming. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, bastard! Now, I'm confused. Because how can you argue with someone who's wearing a helmet and driving a motorbike... Like, how are you talking to each other and arguing? <laughs> she seemed perfectly happy when she got on the bike. Yeah. What has happened in between? <laughs> and he just leaves. He <laughs> doesn't say a single word and just he leaves. He doesn't. Uh, the killer is in a nice fancy house, we see, admiring his photography. Again, in his dark room. We yeah. get a lot of these shots throughout the f- uh, film, does, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, he leaves to go watch some prostitutes. Uh, I'm assuming he kills one of them, because it it very much, um, the camera keeps going back to one of the prostitutes, um, so the the killer's watching. There's a lot of sort of um, point of view in this film, Uh, a lot of um, victims looking directly at the camera, uh, which is very much like playing into the voyeurism Mm -hmm. and... You know, um, there's a lot of scenes of people looking on or, or watching yeah. other people, whether it be the homeless man through the, the window or, in this case, the killer watching the prostitutes. We're assuming that she's either going to be a victim, we never see it. No. Or um, she is a victim, but the killer realises that he hasn't locked 
the door to his dark room. Mm-hmm. And we see the key is still in in the door. Yeah. So I think potentially he realises and goes straight back, saving the prostitute mm-hmm. from being murdered. Uh, a dog beyond a fence is fuming at Maria. This is incredible. Um, the, uh, the dog, I've never seen a dog jump like this before. Oh my God, this like... dog <laughs> is a cunt. Now, I'm an animal lover. I love dogs so much. But this dog... Deserved a good fucking slap. Well, she starts bastard. Well, she kind of, <laughs> yeah, she brings it on herself slightly, but oh my god, he takes it too far. She starts bashing his fence with a branch. Um, I think she seems to think that's gonna calm it down. Uh, yeah, the but... dog's angry, but does she kind of taunts him even more? Yeah, well, I mean Maria's fuming to the motorbike guy. Yeah, she's she's had a tough <laughs> motorbike ride. Um, but the dog gets out and chases her down the road, which leads her to stumble upon the killer's lair. The dog catches up with her and uh, attacks her before she goes inside. Yeah, this dog jumps two fences. <laughs> she it, it attacks her. I, I'm impressed that they trained the dog to do all this. Yeah, she manages to get a very large stick and smack... More of a log than a yeah. stick. Smacks it. She ends up in... Um, the killer's garden and then the dog jumps another even <laughs> higher fence I mean this dog is you know going for the high jump crown for the Olympics because a child in a suit like I just, no, no I just think he's a really well trained dog you know props to you um, but it goes after her again it like, it fucking seriously hates she has pissed him off um, and she winds up um, inside the dark room. Yes. Because it's unlocked and yeah. she's hiding. She finds all the photos of the victim, puts them in a pocket. Yeah, and the paper, um, newspaper cuttings yeah. about the killers, uh, the killings. She tries calling the police, but the killer finds her, chases her outside and hacks her to death with an axe. Yeah, call it, calls her a spy of... Um... Is it a filthy spy? Yes, spy. He, he loves the <laughs> word filthy. I, Maria had a fucking terrible night. Do you know what, bless her. <laughs> she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, weren't she? She really I was. I mean, I'm, I don't, you know, she shouldn't have provoked that dog. Well, I mean, it's the motorbike guy who started it all. Well, she should have minded her own business. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, yeah. He's a bit of an arsehole for leaving her stranded in the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, she's, she's, she's a tough one. Poor Maria. <laughs> Peter gets another note, one that hints that he'll come for Peter soon. Yeah, the killer mourns for the girl, but she had to die so that the killer could continue eliminating the perverts and eventually the corrupter himself. That being Peter Neal, who is the corrupter because his books are deemed to be too violent. Yes. Peter suspects the killer could be Cristiano Berti because of his weird interest in the book. So Peter and Gianni uh, go to watch Berti's house and Gianni informs Peter that he hasn't been in someone's garden since he was six years old. No, Gianni, I know he did film... Um, not film, book <laughs> reviews for the TV... But this is a really fucking nice house. Johnny? Who, what is his name? Johnny's the British guy with the tight jeans. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> it's too, too many characters. Bertie. 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 
Um, yeah, Bertie, he has a huge, really nice house. Mm-hmm. He does, yeah. I mean, yeah, just... top TV star, isn't he? He's Ooh. basically Andy Cohen in Italy. Andy Cohen. Italy's <laughs> answer to Andy Cohen, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Johnny approaches the house alone to get a better view and sees a figure hack Bertie to death of an axe. However, Johnny's unable to see the murderer's face. No, he's, he doesn't. But before um, Bertie gets an axe to the head, um, somebody says, yes, it was me. I killed them. Um, but old Gianni, he's, he's a bit of a wimp, isn't he? Let's be yes. honest. He's, he's all flustered. He didn't know who said what, when and why. He's too excited. Face. He's too excited because he hasn't been in a garden since he was six he years old. He hasn't been in a garden since he was six, you know. He's got his recording career to think of. He was just having a... <laughs> he, he, he weren't paying enough attention. Uh, he returns to Peter to find the novelist has been knocked unconscious on the lawn. Peter asks Anne to stay with him for the night and they get it on. They do. Anne finally gets what she wants. Like, throughout the film, the way Anne acts when she talks about Jane... Mm-hmm. The kind of looks... And it, it's actually a really good performance by uh, Daria uh, Nicolodi. Oh, she's an icon. Um, it, it's on paper not the most exciting um, of the characters, but she makes it work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the look she gives. You can tell that she's definitely got a thing for Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she finally gets what she wants. She does. She does. But he's got other things on his mind as we get another flashback to the Red Heels Queen... But someone stabs her this time around. Yes. She's looking yeah. glamorous at some sort of garden party. Yeah, yeah, it's in broad daylight, isn't it? Stabbed. Yeah. The next day, Peter tries telling Bulma that he's going away from Rome for a bit. Uh, maybe to Paris or something. But Bulma convinces him to stay a little longer. As soon as Peter leaves, that temptress Jane sneaks into the room from a hiding place. With her sunglasses on. Yeah, she's got her sunglasses on. <laughs> She has a snog with Bulma, revealing that they've got a thing going on. And she tells him that she's feeling all sleazy. Yeah. <laughs> they arrange um, to go for lunch. She feels guilty. She, she doesn't know if Peter knows about them or not. Um, so she was never there. No. She, was not, she wasn't there for Peter. She wasn't obsessed with Peter. She was there for Bulma. She wanted a bit of John Saxon. Who could blame her? Come on. <laughs> Germani discovers that Bertie was obsessed with Peter's novels and believes the killings will stop now that Bertie is dead. Peter, however, feels like a part of the mystery is missing. Yeah, they have a very interesting conversation. I got some of it down. Uh, Peter says, I've been charged. I've tried building a plot the same way you have. I've tried to figure it out, but I just have this hunch that something is missing. A tiny piece of the jigsaw. Somebody who should be dead is alive, or somebody who should be alive is already dead. Uh, Germani says, explain that. And Neil says, you know, there's a sentence in a Conan Doyle book. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Um, Which is very interesting, considering he's absolutely bang on. Mm Mm-hmm. In saying that somebody who should be alive is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows that because he's the one who killed him. Yeah. Um, there's 
you know, a little inkling to uh, Peter's character and um, a sort of sense of arrogance. As, because we, you, we're we watching and we're like, well, it can't be Peter because mm-hmm. Peter was nowhere near, you know, he wasn't even in Rome when the first girl was murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, he can't have been the murderer. So when he says something like this, he's like, oh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, now we know, because I've watched this film about, 20 times when he says that he's actually giving a little piece of the jigsaw yeah. <laughs> uh, which is very interesting mm-hmm. and it's not it, it's when a, a twist or when a, a big reveal is good then on a rewatch because sometimes when when you know the twist or you know the ending or you know the big reveal you don't necessarily want to go back and watch the film again if the lead-up isn't great. But in a film like this, you go back and you're like, oh, okay. You know, and you, you find little pieces as you go on oh, a rewatch yeah. that connect it. Um, and it, I, I think Tenebrae is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. So much of it, it works. So someone leaves Jane a gift box containing the red heels, which she seems really happy to receive. I mean, who can blame her? I mean, she absolutely slays in them, and they are her size as well. Perfect yeah. fit. Bulmer is people watching, uh, including a couple that are having an argument by a fountain, uh, when he is stabbed to death whilst waiting for Jane in a public square. Terrible. That's it, John Saxon. Go yes. On. We also get a point of view uh, just before of who we believe to be the killer, breathing heavy at a bar and receiving some water, ready to mm-hmm. take a couple of tablets. Um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, the same tablets from earlier on, from the silhouette before the first flashback as well. Yeah. So you know that even though Bertie's dead, this person's still there. Yeah. He's still going. Yeah. Johnny is uh, haunted by the thought that he missed the importance of something he saw at Bertie's house. And he returns to the house and suddenly remembers that he'd heard Bertie confessing to his attacker, saying he killed them all. Yes, so he finally... It's a bit... It happens quite a bit in Argento films, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, like, for example, in Suspiria, when um, Susie finally realises what the girl was saying at the beginning... Yeah. About the blue iris. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's happened in a lot of his. Bird crystal plumage. I believe I haven't seen that as well. Yeah, about um, like, I don't I don't know how you would describe it. Just sort of, finally, remembering it's yeah. just, a, a a revelation, a, a moment of revelation, mm-hmm. that what you didn't know before finally comes to you yeah a bit like my words in this uh <laughs> this podcast episode very on brand very on brand very on brand and before johnny can share this detail of anyone he's strangled to death from the back seat of his car with what a shoelace yeah I it looks so. like a shoelace jane calls anne and tells her how she feels like there's two people inside of her oh, excuse me and how when he ever takes over, she was worried that she might kill herself. So Anne's like, yeah, I'll fucking come see you, you bitch. Anne is absolutely fuming. 
we've got a couple of red herrings on our hands, don't we? Yeah. Um, could be Jane, could be Anne. Um, Jane's lost it. Mm-hmm. And Anne is absolutely fuming. Yeah. So either of them could be our killer. And then, because as Chris pointed out earlier, this is what all the homosexuals say, and you were listening to a homosexual podcast, we get another iconic scene. Jane is sitting at a kitchen table with a pistol when a figure leaps through a window and hacks off one of her arms. The wound sprays blood all over the kitchen walls before Jane falls to the floor and the killer continues to hack at her until she is dead. I mean, wow, this is just amazing in every way. It really, it, it's... I know this sounds really wanky, but it's very sort of, like, dancey. Like she's, it's like she's performing. Artsy. It's artsy. Artsy. But it's it's kind of like, I mean, if she was doing ballet and it's just blood spraying mm-hmm. from her arm, you know, it's very um, artistic. It, it's, it's amazing how it adds so much to the cinematography when the colour that's adding to the cinematography is blood spraying from someone's arm. It's, yeah. It's incredible. It really is. And it's only Argento who can pull something like this off without it looking so fucking stupid and actually looking artsy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's... I know it sounds really wanky, but it, it does feel like high art mm. has met sort of gory violence. Yes. It, it is. It's a beautiful death scene. <laughs> <laughs> and it's at this point when Peter is revealed to be the murderer. When he is shown stealing Red Heel Queen's iconic red heels after stabbing her during another flashback. Upon learning the details of Bertie's sadistic murder spree, Peter recovered a previously repressed memory involving his murder of a girl who had sexually humiliated him when he was in a youth in Rhode Island. Yeah, um, I'd just like to say it was very clearly Rome in those flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> I have a little Skidness beach. I don't think Rhode Island looks like that. It was very, very much um, filmed in Rome. <laughs> it Rhode Island. Like Rhode Island. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm no expert, but it looked a very Italian beach. <laughs> the memory torments Peter and inflames his previously repressed lust for blood, driving him insane. Yes, a figure that we believe to be Anne enters, didn't she? Yeah. She gets an axe to the back. Mm-hmm. Peter is devastated that he's killed Anne, um, but it's revealed after Germani uh, and Anne enter, real Anne, that it's Alteri. Uh, Alteri. Um, so Alteri had uh, interviewed Bulmer's housekeeper, and she had revealed that Jane and Bulmer were having an affair. Mm-hmm. So Alteri went to investigate herself. Yeah. Very silly of her because she ended up with an accident back. So Germani and Anne arrive soon afterwards when Peter sees that he cannot escape. He slits his throat in front of them. Yes. Germani and Anne go to the police car waiting for backup. Get a very Argento shot of Anne after being in the rain in the back of a car. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the rain is very heavy. Um, and that's when Germani reveals about Rhode Island. Yeah, and gets up to date. Yeah, um, he explains that 
you know, Peter was accused of the murder, but there wasn't sufficient evidence. He suggests that this is when Peter sort of began to lose his mind and believed that murder was the answer to any perceived humiliation, much like the passage from his book. So we're led to believe that Peter was the receiving end of the um, heel in the mouth Mm -hmm. and his revenge was murder. Yeah. He felt slighted by Bulma and Jane because they were having a relationship behind his back, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so he used the cover of this razor killer, Bertie, who was the actual killer, to murder Jane and Bulma. Yeah. So, yeah, which is a great twist. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't. The first time I watched it, I didn't see it come in. Um, I just, I just assumed it was going to be Anne. No, it's very unpredictable. It's, um, yeah, really. I think really, really well done because, you know, by this point, like nineteen eighty two, there'd been a lot of giallo films. Yeah. Um, so I suppose it was difficult to sort of keep it fresh. Yeah. And I, I do think I, I've, I've never sort of seen a twist like this before. Um, so, yeah, no, fantastic. So, Germani returns to the house and is murdered by Peter who'd faked his own death. Yes, he had a fake razor that squirted fake blood. And uh, Peter waits inside for Anne to return, but when she opens the door, she accidentally knocks over a metal sculpture that impales and kills Peter. So the horror-stricken Anne stands in the rain and screams repeatedly for one final iconic moment. Yeah, so Germani's uh, murder is quite an iconic shot as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need to stop saying iconic. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so he's stood... And it um, it was something that, that they bring up a lot when they talk about Tenebrae is uh, dual identity uh, and, you know, two opposing um, characters. So Germani is stood there he bends down for some reason, I don't know. And Peter is directly behind him. But Germani had covered Peter. So they occupied essentially the same space yeah. in the shot. But it wasn't until Germani moved down out of shot that you saw Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really iconic. It's been used a lot. I think it was used before Tenebrae. But it's been... Time and time again. It really has. And it's always a great shot. Yeah. It really is. Looked fantastic. Um, But yeah, in the commotion, this hideous statue (laughs) that's just like metal spikes together. Uh, I don't know what it's trying to do. It looks a bit like um, a really wanky Christmas tree. It's high art, Chris. High art. And I, I, you know... I I know art, and that is not art. Uh, (laughs) But it's knocked against the door, isn't it? So Anne's trying to get in. Peter has finally lost it. He don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) He don't care if he kills Anne or not. He's not going to be upset. He's waiting for her. But as she bashes the door open, one of the spikes comes loose, stabs him in the stomach. Um, He's trying his hardest to sort of get the spike out. She is screaming and won't stop screaming Mm -hmm. 
And that's how we end the film. Yeah. With the score? Complete man. Yeah, with the, the score. Or if you watch Unsane, the American version, it's Kim Wilde's Take Me Tonight. Yeah. Which is a banger, but really out of place. Um, but yeah. But yeah, that's ten of a row. Absolute batshit crazy ending. Yeah. Uh, again, I mean, I don't know if we've said it enough, but amazing film. One of Argento's best. I love it. I, I, I really do love it. And it's, for me, it's high camp. It's ridiculous. It's so over the top. Um, I I really enjoy the plot. I enjoy the twist. Um, I think a lot of the, the sort of themes that are brought up are very interesting. Um, the the gore is and the kills are spectacular. Yeah. Again, you know, so over the top. Um, I love. There's a very a minimalist nature to it. Mm-hmm. I find a lot. Of the colours are very sort of pastels. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because like like Jane's death, when you see these flashes of colour, mainly blood red, it makes it stand out so much more. Yeah. I love the visuals, love the cinematography. That crane shot is... A Finger Beauty. I, I really, really love this film. Yeah. I enjoy it so much. Absolute perfection. Uh, so, an award will be given out to each film during Nasty November. What is the nastiest moment in this film? Has to be Jane. It has to Jane's be Jane's hand chopping. has to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's one of those scenes where... It's just again. It's just it's just perfection, and it's not often you can make a death scene look so stylish. I mean, you know, it it also doesn't feel like it's glorifying violence. It's a really weird in between, um, because obviously you know, a scene like this could be accused of glorifying violence, but it's not. It's it's using it something so ridiculous and over the top for for art. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Don't horror films glorify violence? Well, yeah, I suppose. You know, period. You yeah. know, but this this just does this just does something like like no other film does. It's it's really it's weird, but it's so over the top and just a really great visual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then for a very over the top stylish character, you know, what can what can we say? It's I've you know I've never seen Nigella Lawson like this. <laughs> I mean, a, a close runner-up is the heel to the mouth because fucking gross. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the death scenes are pretty gross. You know, like the idea of uh, pages of a book being stuffed in your yeah. mouth. Imagine the paper cuts. It'd be horrible. <laughs> but that is Tenebrae. Let us know what you think to the film. If you've already seen it on social media with Horrorcourt Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, GazCruise92 on Twitter, and Gazmo205 on Instagram. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. And if you haven't seen Tenebrae, then get on it. Get on yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. It. Uh, let us know what your favourite Argento film is. Yes. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but this is my favourite. And, it, you know, you're picking at straws. Well, mine, mine often changes between absolutely. this superior of phenomena. I mean, yeah. Deep red, you know, 
I think a lot of the time it, it depends on which one I've seen most recently. Yeah. Um, he, he has numerous five-star films. But let us know what's your favourite Argento film. Yes. Uh, if you listen on iTunes, rate, review and subscribe, like a follow on everything else. Next week, we will be back, continuing Nasty November, with our Don't Week, where we'll be discussing Don't Go In The House. Don't Go In The House. Um, yeah, um... Yeah, we haven't seen it, so it's not like to say. <laughs> Hopefully it's good. Don't know if I'm looking forward to it. Hope it's better than Don't Go In The Words. <laughs> I know, yeah. Thanks for everyone for voting in the polls and choosing Don't Go In The House rather than Don't Go In The Woods Alone. Thank you. Genuinely, thank you. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Bye.